Welcome to What Do You Think? This is part two of our 2023 wrap up. And this is the better part, significantly better part, superior part, one would say. This is our top 10 best films of 2023. Woohoo! Uh, we did it. Yeah, so we're here with our friend Jay, who whose list is probably going to be very, very Jay-ish. Is that would that be would that be fair to say, Jay? What does Jay-ish mean? What is what does Jay-ish mean to you? Let's explore that. <laughs> oh, we don't have to. We, we don't we, have the time to explore that. Yeah, yeah, we we really really don't. No, uh, God forbid we have to explore Jay-ish or God. Let's just. Oh, let's shit. just let's just make sure I got you. We're See, focusing I got you. on the enunciation of Jayish, so we don't turn into anything anti-Semitic here. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's All right. So, as before, Jay, you are our guest. So <clears> you're <throat> gonna go first with your number ten, and then C will follow, and then I will follow. So, let's floor is yours, Jay. Well, I do have some honorable mentions. That I like to. Oh yes, first. please give oh, your honorable yeah. mentions. These are these are movies that I enjoyed, that I appreciated, that I saw. A lot of potential in and uh one of these you already know my opinions i was on a podcast for it so we don't have to get into it why it didn't make my top 10 but just things that really stuck out to me that maybe were on the top 10 but got bumped off later on um they cloned tyrone which is absolutely hilarious and a really good like metaphor metaphorical kind of movie uh the blackening for the same reasons hilarious and metaphorical and and really good Killers on the Flower Moon, which was just brilliantly done. Um, and you guys know why I had some issues with that. And then Blue Beetle, which had absolutely no reason being as good as it was. Um, ultimately, in the end, it's just another superhero movie. Um, it's a lot of fun, but there's just 10 better movies in this one. Um, starting with my number 10, if you don't mind. Um, oh, let, let's let's give our honorable mentions. Yeah. Oh yeah, please, please, please. So see, go. Um, Jay, the the honorable mentions you mentioned, God, say that ten times really fast. Uh, those are all great movies, and not denying that they deserve to be there. Some that I want to mention, uh, without like, I'm I'm omitting certain things here because I don't want to like give away too much of what's in my top ten, but um. Uh, for me, top tens included uh, Landscape with Invisible Hand, Dream Scenario, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, uh, Air, um, Return to Soul, uh, of course, uh, Dream Scenario. Oh, yeah, I said that. Um, <laughs> oh, and uh, one that I've got to give credit to, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. That was just such a fun action kids movie that like i wanted to acknowledge its existence in some way because it was a good time in its own right um trying to think anything else would be giving away too much um oh i will mention suzume i i enjoyed that one a lot too but it's not in my top 10 really enjoyable really fun really out there um yeah had a great time with those movies and they're all honorably mentioned yeah, so I like I I had to think a little bit when I was thinking like okay well what what do I really like because I had a big list and I was like okay what what is do I have to take out and what do I want to put as an honorable mention and the the first one I really want to put on there is Creed three, 
Michael B. Jordan gives an amazing directorial debut, and you just don't expect that he's going to be as good as he is. Now, is he as good as uh, as the director of the first one? Um, I, I'm blanking on his name. Coogler? Yeah, Ryan Coogler, thank you. Uh, no, but he could get there, and he has his own distinct visual style, which I, I absolutely adored. Um, I, I know this is probably going to make some of you guys mad, but it literally was number 11, so it has to be honorable mention, but that's Wonka. I loved Wonka. I love Paul King, the director of Wonka. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a Timothy Chalamet fanboy, but I, I respect the guy. Uh, uh, everything about it was just so sweet, so perfect. Like, stepping into Gene Wilder's shoes is really, really hard, but, like, I think Timothy Chalamet really did it. And here's the crazy thing. The songs are great. They're really good songs. And, you know, it's... When you're trying to do a musical sequel to a very iconic musical, like, that's hard. And I, you know, it didn't reach that height, but it, it was damn close, and I really enjoyed it. Wonka was a great, great little movie to watch. Not little, but it was a great movie to watch. Uh, American Fiction... It is a the smartest comedy I saw all year. I think uh, I I think uh, 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 Cord Cord Peterson I believe is the director's name. Uh, I think that's a talent to watch out for. That that man is going places. And Jeffrey Wright like one of the best performances of his mm. career. Absolutely adored it. And I I've, I've been telling people if you want to laugh and also kind of learn some stuff, American Fiction. I'm biased, and that's why this is on here, but I adored Blue Beetle. Oh, my God. By far my favorite superhero movie of the year, and it really, really touched close to home. There were some there were some things that were making me laugh so hard <clears throat> that C and J were like, why was that funny to you? And I was like, to explain would take too long. And I was I have told all my family to watch Blue Beetle, and they've told me, like, it, some of them have said this is straight up my favorite movie of the year. And some of them have said, like, oh, this 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 is just so close to home. I, I love it. So Blue Beetle is definitely a a honorable mention. Um, another, mo- another movie that's probably going to get some people mad at me, but uh, Barbie. I really liked Barbie. It's not in my top ten, but I really enjoyed it. And I know this is a little controversial to say, but Ryan Gosling was my favorite part. He is committed to Ken. He is really, really committed to Ken. And Margot Robbie's committed to being Barbie. It's just that Ken is just so such an out there character that I really feel like can only have been played by Ryan Gosling, who's willing to just be weird. I really, really liked it. And Greta Gerwig made a blockbuster that doesn't look like a blockbuster, and I really, really liked that. And Will Ferrell's okay. <laughs> um, and finally, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. I... What can you say? It's Tom Cruise being Ethan Hunt. It will always, if it won't be in your top 10, it will be a, a honorable mention because Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt is elite. So, all right, let's get this party started. <laughs> let's do uh, it. I hate to disappoint you there, but Dead Reckoning was almost in my dishonorable mentions. But anyways, uh, starting off with my number 10. So just to recap of what I was trying to do with the uh, bottom five, I am going to talk about the Rotten Tomato scores because I think it's really interesting. Of all my top ten, only two of them have a total, have a score that's not in the 90s. Um, if I gave you two numbers, there's a critic score and an audience score. If I gave you one number, that's just like, like the numbers weren't really far off, so it's just kind of like the same thing. So my number ten with a 93% critic score and a 98% audience score 
as a movie I really appreciated, um, you know, I come in here and I talk about scale of movies a lot. I talk about, you know, when I, I was on the podcast for this one and I was just talking about how this is just such a great movie of really good actors with really good dialogue in a room together. So, uh, it came out early, but when you're talking about Michael Jordan, you're talking about one of the greatest athletes of all time. And, and for air, the movie air, um, they do such a great job of setting extremely high stakes while just sitting in a room together. Um, this is a proof of concept that you don't have a, have to have a world ending event to, to create a, an inciting incident. Um, couldn't even tell you there was actually antagonist in this film. It's just, it's just a bunch of people. They have a goal. They have, they have a plan and they just go through it and it works out. Um, really sound performances all around, uh, from Matt Damon to Jason Bateman to American goddamn treasure, Chris Tucker. Um, everyone here, you know, they're not, they're not overreaching here. They're just doing their job and it's good enough. And it's great. Uh, I particularly really appreciated Jason Bateman's monologue about how he only gets to see his daughter on Sundays and he brings her a pair of Nike shoes and how even if he lost his job, he'd still buy her a pair of Nike shoes because that's how he can get his daughter's love. And that's what he can do just to spend time with his daughter. And he turns this into a really nice monologue about what this job means for him and what this job can give him with time with his daughter and turns it into a direct criticism to Matt Damon's character. It's like, I think you've been cavalier with, with all this here and we're taking a big risk. And, and that's just a really good moment. That's just between these two good actors who are just, you know, just in this together. Um, I love that they didn't really show Michael Jordan's face and at least, um, the character Michael Jordan, they, they went with real life footage of Mike, uh, throughout his career. And they talked about what his career was going to be and everything. And really just led up to what is the biggest, most landscape changing, uh, athletic endorsement of all time that has led to Michael Jordan being a billionaire that has led to, many athletes getting their own brands. It was now led to college athletes being able to use their name, image, and likeness and receive compensation for it. Uh, there's just so much to like about this movie. It's it's sort of a, a period piece set in the uh, in the 80s, but it, it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It just takes place in the 80s, and that's fine. Um uh, and like I said, it's it's very self-contained with while keeping the stakes high and and really showing what's at stake and 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 what the objective is and proof of concept that you can just make a good story with good actors and good dialogue and have a good movie. So number ten is Air for me. Well, I have no Alrighty. questions. Do you have any questions, C? I do not. I do not. All right, so you're up next. So. My my number 10 actually took me a very long time to reach because I have four movies that were very close to like they it was they were very near ties 
for the 10th spot, which I think a lot of us actually went through. I think, you know, Al, you talked about your number 11 and how, you know, they can't all be in the 10. So I want to actually say the form, the movies that didn't make 10 and were so fucking close. And then the movie that did, I'll just name them off without going into them. Um, Three of the movies that didn't get into 10, but were so close were Poor Things, Barbie, and The Iron Claw. So I'm getting those out of the way. They ended up in the top rankings of my honorable mentions, and they were great. I enjoyed them. But they had some sort of thing that I had an issue with. I've talked about it in each episode. I will not belabor the point here. I, it's It would be pointless for me to do so. So what is the movie that beat all of them by a hair, in my opinion? Well, honestly, it is the movie that I think, for me was the probably the biggest surprise for me of the year, which was the one and only Godzilla minus one, because this managed to be a, a kaiju film. For those of you who don't know what kaiju means, go look it up. We talked about it before. Um, but this is a kaiju movie. This is one of the only kaiju movies. There aren't many. This is one of the only kaiju movies where you give a shit about the characters. And it's the only Godzilla movie that I can think of where you care about the characters. There's a little bit of character development in Gojira, the original Gojira. But this far exceeds that. And it decides to do a... It's literally a post-war movie, too. Which, who would have thought that was going to work? But it 110% does. Also, for the record, if you can, go ahead and go see Godzilla Minus One Minus Color it's even better. It's even more amazing in black and white. Uh, it really, it's it's the way this movie is meant to be seen, but if you can't catch it that way, you'll still thoroughly enjoy the in-color version of it. Um, I could go on about it. I won't. It's It was the biggest surprise for me uh, of the year. Mm. Any questions before we move on? Uh, so, uh, I was right. Right. Yes. Yes, you're right. <laughs> uh, I'll just just for preface, like we watched this last night in minus color last night, and then like we got into one of our conversations in the kitchen that just goes on forever, and then we got into his number ten, and like he told me which ones, and I just kind of like picked which one and why it was going to be, and picked this one. Um, question for you then: mm-hmm. Is this your favorite? kaiju movie of all time or do you have another one that you think is better i have a few that i think are better but it's in the top five the better ones for me i'll just are i think the best kaiju film ever is the host directed by uh bong joon ho the one the one and only bong joon ho um then after that there's an amazing kaiju film called colossal uh starring anne hathaway that's really fucking that's a good one that's really i didn't like that one Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm fine. We're not, we're not here to argue. I love it. Um, after that, I love the first Cloverfield. I think it's an interesting, it's one of the few found footage movies that actually uses found footage to its unique advantage. Um, and lastly, the only other kaiju movie that I put ahead of it was the original. Well, I'd say the original Gojira and the original King Kong are also ahead of this, but this is a, an amazing kaiju movie without a doubt. But those do, uh, succeed it uh in my in my view so i guess i'm up uh yeah my number 10 and i 
I really thought like, okay, this, <laughs> this, I really thought when I watched it, I was like, okay, this might not be in my top 10. And I thought about it. I was like, wow, it, it actually really is. And that's Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron. Um, and the reason it's in my top 10 to begin with is literally because Hayao Miyazaki is probably the last remaining genius in the world of animation. I just can't stop thinking about the animation in that movie. Like, like it's very light on plot. And that's so shocking for a Miyazaki movie that it's kind of light on plot. That's more was his partner's Isao Takahata's thing. But the animation, the vibes he was going for, and, and kind of more of a meta thing, the fact that it's like, Hayao Miyazaki, like, I suffer until I'm able to express myself through art, and I hate it so much. That meta element of it also is just dripping in that entire film. Um, so I, I saw both the dub and the the original Japanese with the, with the subtitles, and I gotta say, both have their great strengths uh florence Pugh just kind of keeps showing me that she's an amazing voice actress she should really keep pursuing that she's really really good at that um it's, it was good to have christian bale back uh in a miyazaki film but honestly folks to watch this movie is just to marvel at at the animation just the, the textures the the colors the the music joe Joe Hisashi's music, it's probably the best thing he's done since Princess Mononoke. Like, oh my god, like this movie is definitely one where I'm like, you go there for the vibes. And if you're if you're vibing with it, it's a movie you're not gonna forget, and it's gonna be one of your favorites of the year. Any questions? <laughs> not for me. Nope. All right. Moving on. Number then. nine. Number nine. Well, if I'm being honest, there there were quite a few movies that got me a bit emotional this year, um, but this one definitely uh, made me the most introspective, um, and 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 thinking about a lot of different really deep uh, stuff. Um, it's it's maybe not. A perfect movie because it still has a couple things that don't work um but the emotional roller coaster coaster that is the iron claw is something i think everyone should just experience once and interpret it the way they need to interpret and just kind of just have that uh that experience for themselves. Um, see, you mentioned in in the episode that I I didn't like how quick and easy he was avoiding going back home, and that was just kind of awkward. Um, the Ric Flair they had wasn't necessarily a great uh, interpretation of Ric Flair, um, but overall, this felt like a uh uh an okay script that was carried by some really great chemistry with some really great actors um you know this i mean this is a very emotional film so we're not going to get too deep into it um but this one really resonated with me um and and definitely definitely got me 
in some research in the videos about you know what all that meant and uh, what they were doing with it after I saw this, um, and you know there's always there's always that one movie every year that just it just it just gets you right in the gut and doesn't let go. And for me, that was the Iron Claw, uh, sitting at a eighty nine percent total on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so yeah, that's my number nine. Nice. Wow. Nice. I have no questions other than I will acknowledge that while it was not in my top 10, it was very close. And of these movies, I will also admit it is the only one that made me cry. I will admit that. I'm just going to straight up said every, every movie in my, in my top 10 has made me cry. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> every one of them. Every one of them. Okay. Can't go that. I can't go that far with it, but, um, cause apparently I'm a heartless, I'm a, I have no soul and can't cry. Um, so, my number oh wait we have no questions right yeah okay my number nine was also a bit of a surprise um i i I did not expect this to be in there but i could no longer deny its ability and had to accept that it was going to be that it was a great movie uh my number nine is wonka um i talked about it a lot in our episode so i won't say too much one thing I'll add is that the song A World of Our Own is a great, great, great song. Um, it's I'm not going to go as far as to say it's on par with um, uh, Pure Imagination. Imagination. Yeah, yeah, Pure Imagination. But it is damn close. It gets pretty, pretty close. And what also is great about the movie I realized that makes it work is Wonka as a whole, not just in the way it's shot, but the length in its entirety and even the performances, everything about that movie, what makes it work is because the whole movie knows how to not overstay its welcome. Somehow it gives you all of these wonderful things, all these enjoyable things, all these such, it's such a whimsical movie, but it doesn't hold on too long. It just, at the right moment, it knows when it's about to steep and it pulls away onto the next thing. And that I think is what, for me, looking back, brought it into the top 10 was how finitely made it was and how spare even though there were some very lavish moments it was actually edited in a very sparing way which is impressive Mm. because usually when directors make lavish movies like that they hold on to certain scenes for a while and it's almost like they did the exact opposite for this and that's all I can really say because folks listen to the episode if you want to know more I got nothing to say so, can I go? I guess we'll... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, all right. My number nine is uh, John Wick Chapter 4, which when, like, for the longest time, I was like, is John Wick Chapter 4 going to be the best action movie of 2023? And fortunately, there were there were some other stuff, which is good. But uh, just how... What a perfect way to end a action series that never ever really dropped in quality like sure people have their favorites uh and they're usually for different reasons and some people have their quibbles with three or with two some people now can see like how relatively inexpensive one looked but my gosh chat uh uh uh, chad skoletsky uh the director of all four this this guy is this guy is our modern Sam Peckinpah. Uh, he just understands action 
on a level that no one else really does now. Um, and listen, his partner, his former partner, David Mike, he's really good too. But Skaletsky is just on a whole different level. Like the fact that he took his time, that he he took his like you know David Lake started jumping to new projects almost immediately after the first John Wick, but Chad Skaletsky was like, no, I wanna I wanna kind of incubate this and really make something special. Do you know how crazy it is that everyone knew everyone knew Keanu Reeves as Neo, and now everyone just says Mr. Wick? Do you know how crazy that is? And just the the standard you had to reach the heights you had to reach in order to give a satisfying conclusion and that they met it they that they were able to stick the landing like this movie is a masterclass in in hand-to-hand combat it's a masterclass in gunfighting there is one sequence in here that everyone calls the hotline miami sequence that was <laughs> one of the craziest things i saw in in a theater and quite frankly i i, I I got to say, just the way they're able to close uh, John Wick's character, yeah, it made me tear up. This one was the one I cried the least in. I, I just really teared up. But it, it was that thing that's like, I'm so glad they were able to give a good ending. Now, if, if they make more, who knows? But to have a film series where every entry is very strong and that I can safely say that I think every year that a John Wick movie has come out, it's been in my top 10. Hey, man. This is this is one that when they make that collector's edition, I'm going to have it. Uh, the, the collector's Blu-ray, I'm going to have it. So, yeah, John Wick Chapter 4 is uh, my number nine. I, I, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. I don't know if you guys remember, but I was super high when we went to watch this <laughs> on a CBD gummy of all things. Um, but my question is, uh, what do you think it would take to get movie stars who have been active in the 80s, 90s, and all the 2000s who are still making action movies, Keanu Reeves and Tom Cruise in a movie together. Ooh. I, I I think what it would take is uh, really just Tom Cruise saying when. Tom Tom Cruise is... That's fair. I mean, I mean, Keanu Reeves has pull, but nowhere near the pull. Like, Tom Cruise produces all his movies. So, but here's the thing. It's crazy to me that they haven't done it. Now, Tom Cruise does more of the like aerial stunts versus Keanu Reeves, who does fighting stunts. I think that's a match made in heaven. Um, I, I I think that's a match made in heaven. It just Tom Cruise is the type of guy who's like, I want to work with you, but it's got to be the perfect project. It's just got to be the perfect project. And he's kind of obsessed about it always has to be the perfect project. Like I've always wanted to work with mm-hmm. Emily Blunt, but it had to be the perfect project. It ended up being Edge of Tomorrow. I've always really, really wanted to work with, uh, 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 God, I, th- he just says that a lot. So it's really when, Keanu, it's really when, uh, Tom Cruise says when. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I, not so much a question, but more of a comment. While yes, it was a, it was a, a good conclusion and I did enjoy it. I did think that John Wick Chapter 4 got dangerously close to overstaying its welcome. And I think, I basically said in the episode at the time that I really, I know we're going to get more, but I don't want any more John Wick things. I know we've got a TV show coming and all that, but I think the moment we go past John Wick Chapter 4, we are getting, we are overstepping at that point. Like it's too much, it'll be too much. And I think another reason or another issue I had with this movie was that the other three, like 
I understand that the first one is very different from then two and three, but like we were still loving them, we were still enjoying them. You mentioned Hotline Miami, Al. I have to also add that John Wick Chapter Four is when it became most like a video game, in the sense that it became suddenly the most detached, and I suddenly found difficulty attaching myself to John Wick at that point. It also didn't help that he said the least out of any movie than in this one. He said very, very, very little, um, which I don't think helped. Uh, again, I enjoyed it, and it stuck the landing. I just think it wobbled a bit at the end. So for that reason, I'll say it now, John Wick Chapter 4 will not be in my top 10 uh, and was not in my honorable mentions, but nowhere anything bad either. All right, moving uh, on. Uh, number, on number eight. Yeah, number eight. Uh, I promise this is a good one. Um, there are two types of war movies. The first one is a is a look at this heroic action that took place in this time in this in this place at this time. The second is a a a look at the horrors of war and sometimes an over-exaggeration of all the shit that people see in war theaters. This is the first one. Uh, sitting at an 83% uh, critic score, but a 98% audience score, I really like Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Um, I'm not always the biggest Jake Gyllenhaal fan, but this is a really good one where he's very compelling uh, and and I really believe the emotions he's portraying. Um, it's very very simple and straightforward, and it's it's you know it's one part you know inciting incident where he loses his whole team, and then his interpreter his interpreter interpreter sorry uh, just basically carries him back to safety, back to base. Uh, uh, amongst, like, the Taliban and everything. And then Jake Gyllenhaal comes home, and then he's obsessed, he becomes obsessed with going to find this man who saved him and bring him out of that situation. He's now he's being hunted, and he goes to find him. Um, there's a really good montage of them traveling together at uh, at some point. I it, It's been several months since I watched the movie, so I need to go back and like, revisit it. Um, really good cinematography all around for this one. Uh, you know, very good performances and just a great story overall. It might be a, you know, unoriginal story. I'm not entirely, I don't remember if it's true or not. I want to say it is. Um, regardless, it's not entirely the most original story, uh, especially for a war film, but with what they have, they do a great job. And um, I'm not always the biggest Guy Ritchie fan, but he really impressed me with this one. So The Covenant's my number eight. All right. Questions? No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I, right, I, cool. I, you've, you've put, you putting it in your top ten has made me want to see it though. I've, I not, I've actually I seen it. just want to say that I've heard so many people tell me that, that I should watch the covenant, but it was always that thing. I'm like, eh, I don't like, it doesn't sound good. And now that you've said it, I'm like, well now that's what scaled me over to that. I'll probably it, watch it this week. The, the trailer, the trailer definitely made me think it could go either way, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and watch it with you guys. 
just give it a chance and 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 let it sit with you for a second and i think you'll like it cool all righty all right my number eight uh is blackberry um this so this has been we've gotten now we're into we we've gotten an era now of movies about the making of certain products or certain things um, that seems to be a growing trend significantly. We had we had Air, obviously. We had Tetris. Um, we had Flaming Hot as well, which saw, the song got an Oscar nomination of all things. Um, we you can argue Barbie is is a part of this in its own way. It's also not, but in its own way, is somewhat related, tangentially related. And then you have BlackBerry, which we mentioned in our. Uh, sort of movies we missed episodes. So guys, go check that out to hear me gush over that film. Um, but <clears throat> basically, to learn the story about the phone that dominated the world for a little while, I couldn't have imagined, could not have imagined as being interesting. Turns out it's not, it is interesting, but more what it is is the director learned, okay, I can make this an incredibly interesting character drama and just use that as the propelling force for this movie. Um, it's entertaining as hell. It's really funny. Uh, really fantastic acting from uh, Glenn Howerton of uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame. He's basically bringing out his, his Dennis energy, as I would say, but bringing it up way more, but also making it a little bit more realistic, too. It's, it's, it was a, a nice flow that he was able to pull off. Um, I actually really enjoy, though, though the direction isn't like super fantastic in this movie, I actually really appreciated the way he directed it. In fact, Glenn Howerton talked about the way he would do the, the way they would do this is it was a bunch of wide shots or they would pull back really far and he's, you'd, 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 he would use zoom lenses to get in close at certain times and they just redo the scene multiple times and then they'd edit all that together. And that does not work for every movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it very much works for this because sometimes you want to almost, it allows you to be the person in an office where you see people in another room arguing, but you can't quite <clears throat> hear what they're saying, but this movie allows you to hear what they're saying. And it kind of raises the tension a little bit in such a fun way. So Blackberry is my number eight. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's probably one of the least, it was definitely one of the least appreciated movies of the year uh, by a lot. So definitely check it out. Fun fact, uh, and Al's the one that actually told me this. If you are if you have AMC stubs, you can watch a mini-series version of this, which I have yet to do, but I intend to. Uh, any questions before we move on? No. Nope. All right. All right. Al. Uh, my number eight was uh, Jay's number 10, and that's Air. Uh, I adored this movie, and I adored this movie because I have a very, very, very close connection with the 90s Bulls. Like, you asked me as a kid, what is America to you? And with, I would tell you in broken English, Michael Jordan. So anything involving Michael Jordan, I'm already biased with. But add to the fact that Ben Affleck is, again, proving his detractors wrong, that he actually is an amazing director. And that Matt Damon is, you know, he's not he's not moving mountains, but he's he's doing the best type of performance that he's 
really great at. And, you know, Jason Bateman's being really good in this. And Chris Tucker has a really good scene in this. Or, or really, really good in this. Um, and everything just clicked. And like Jay said, it, it's not about, there's no antagonist here. It's about, there's this goal. And if we don't meet this goal, we're fucked. And Ben Affleck knows how to stretch that tension so far. But the thing that made me love this movie so much is that Matt Damon has a monologue about Michael Jordan that he's actually in the movie giving to Michael Jordan. And I just started sobbing because I just remembered watching all of that as a kid and thinking to, yourself, thinking to myself, like, this is the greatest human being that I've ever seen. And it meant a lot to me. And the funny thing was that there was this woman <laughs> next to me who could see that I was sobbing. And, you know, I, I put myself together. The movie ends. And I'm putting myself together. She just goes over there. You're a Chicago Bulls fan, aren't you? <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, how could you tell? Um, <laughs> how could you? Oh, my God. How could you tell? Uh, oh, no, you should have gone, who, me? <laughs> but, but, no, Ben Affleck, like, one of the things I really liked about this was that Ben Affleck, he's he's kind of like Steven Soderbergh in that way that he sees the story and he's like, okay, I'm not going to impose a style on this. I'm going to like let the story inform the style because look at all his films. They're they're not all like they're they're not all shot the same way. They're not all like edited the same way. It depends on the good. story, and I really really appreciate that that he's that Ben Affleck's willing to be like, no, I'm going to shoot this the way that would fit the story. I'm not going to impose myself. Now there are some filmmakers, obviously we all love certain filmmakers where they're like, this is my story and I'm going to impose myself on the story because it's mine. But I really, I, I appreciate the Ben Affleck, Steven Soderbergh uh, philosophy of directing. I think that's warranted too. And again, Matt Damon does some really good stuff here. And like at once you get to that ending, you're just, you, what more can you ask for than to have a really, really well-told story in the movie theater? And I really think that's that's air. And yeah, it's it's my my number eight. All right. Uh, any questions? Not a. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Number seven. Jim. Number seven. <clears throat> well, this one is sitting at an eighty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but I think if you ask the masses. And the pop culture and and the effect this movie had on the year, it would be a hundred percent. Every now and then, there is a movie that helps shape our culture. There is a movie that represents a certain group of people that they can unite behind and say, "Yes, that's me." A couple years ago, it was Black Panther. Now, this one. I'm going to make a joke about it. This is basically Black Panther for women. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the Barbie movie. Now, I did end up seeing this with my girlfriend, which was both the right and wrong decision at the time. <laughs> um, well, and right, because it's a good thing for a boyfriend to do, and it's a good movie. It was a good experience for both of us. But also wrong, because the more they kept making can say and do stupid shit, the more she kept looking at me. Uh, particular moments, like when they start explaining, I mean, explaining the Godfather movie, she just gave me a nice, good, long look. I was like, okay, alright. 
I didn't really ever get offended by any of the stuff they were making Ken do until they all showed up doing the horse trot from Monty Python. Like, okay, like I get it, all right? Um, the idea that they would do this is bold, but the execution here is brilliant. Um, they didn't start with the origin. They didn't make Barbie a real-life thing. They made Barbie a Barbie and said, this is Barbie world. This is what happens in Barbie world. Now there's a problem with Barbie. She has to go into the world world to, do, to deal with it and then come back and deal with problems with Barbie world and Ken's and it's just a really good execution here. Um, there's a really good mother and daughter story that we get with American Ferreira um, and, and everything that they're saying about toxic masculinity and what it means to be a woman and like the the toy industry as a whole is is all spot on like they they went there and and you know c and i have been saying this the whole time props to mattel for letting them do this because because mattel took they they took jabs at the very brand that carries barbie and mattel let them and said yeah you're right but we still make barbie um what what puts this in the top ten for me is I am Ken. Um, that's just such an incredible sequence and a and a great tribute to Hollywood in general. Um, uh, C did get me an I am Knuff hoodie for Christmas that I wear sometimes uh, at home when no one's watching. But uh, <laughs> I I it's funny, it's relevant, it's compelling, and you can take lessons away from it. And uh, overall, it's a really good time. And a, and for the longest time, this was my number two. Like when this came out, this this stayed at number two until about two weeks ago when I really started taking a look at this list. And it's happened. Um, and mostly it dropped because I came to the realization that this movie wasn't made for me and that like... I've tried watching it at home on streaming and I just can't, I, I, I end up doing something else or just not paying attention with it or falling asleep. But maybe it's just, this wasn't made for me. This isn't supposed to be my movie, but it's still great. So it's sitting here at number seven with an 88% Rotten Tomatoes. And that's all I got. Questions? No, no, no. I think, think, you know, I, I have to point out that like, while while we are all enjoying the top ten portion, uh, part two much more, the passion was in our bottom five. We were mad. We had a lot. Oh to yeah. Say oh, there. I was I was just in a pissed mood. I mean, <laughs> I, look, I, I'm so have I been, but and that it's just interesting to observe that like we all like we're bringing up what we liked and we're just like yeah, this was a good movie. We liked this. Um, but moving forward, um. My number seven, wait, yes, seven, um, I got to give it to American Fiction. Uh, Al really put it best. It is the smartest comedy of the year. It is a comedy that will make you laugh, and I feel like will, I also agree with Al, will make a lot of white people uncomfortable, but that is part of what works about it. Um... What I love, though, and what took me a minute to like get into with it, but I realize now is genius, is the balance and tone that it has is very impressive. 
it goes from really interesting comedic premise that the trailer makes very clear <laughs> to really palpable family, honest family drama. And it goes back and forth between the two in such a almost rhythmic ballet like way that you genuinely can't help but be amazed that a movie like this exists. Um, Jeffrey Wright, of course, is giving an incredible performance, um, but also the smaller roles. Um, there's an actress who kind of plays a love interest in this, and she is really good. Um, no character is given any kind of bad or hacky dialogue. Well, okay, there's one character, but it's it's actually, it works very well. Um, I was criticizing uh, The Equalizer 3 for having a Woody Allen vibe. This also has a Woody Allen vibe, but in a good way. Uh, it's, it's, I can only describe it as a Woody Allen vibe. Um, but yeah, I give it a seven. I can't give it any higher because at the end of the day, I think this movie was actually saying a lot and borderline almost put too much, but you can still, you realize that that's part of it too. It has to be a little bit too much. Also, a lot of people have talked about, and I've said throughout in other episodes, that Barbie had the best final line out of any movie, but American Fiction has the best final shot of any movie this year. Um, I talk about it in the episode, so go listen to that, folks. But that final shot really hits home in a almost fucked up, but also just not at the same time kind of way. Uh, that also perfectly summarizes the whole concept of the movie. So yeah, I, I could go on. I sound like a broken record when I say that, but I won't. American Fiction is my number seven. I really, really enjoyed it, and it was—it's just such a smart comedy. Any questions before we move on? Just wanted to say that, like I stated earlier, I'm really excited for this guy's next movie. Oh, a hundred! Oh my God, I, I want to see whatever this guy does, no matter what. Even if I see the trailer and I don't think it looks good, I'm seeing it anyways. Mm. Like. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, my number seven is Blackberry. Uh, I loved every moment of seeing how Matt Johnson could turn something as boring as like, hey, we're inventing a, a phone with a full keyboard. Just funny and intense, filled with tension, filled with like, like drama and all very natural. It never felt hokey. It never felt uh, overblown, hyperbolic. Uh, and it's really, really cemented by the two leads. I know everyone talked about how showy Glenn Howerton is in this. Uh, but Jay Baruchel, I think this is the best thing he's done. Period. Um, you think so? I'm sorry. You think this beats his performance in Million Dollar Baby? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. They're the. Shit. So, um, I, what, what he does here is that he plays this, it's never confirmed. And I, I haven't looked into the, the co-CEO's, uh, backstory, but he kind of plays, uh, the, 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 the guy in tr the CTO, Mike, uh, I, I don't remember his last name. He plays him as possibly on the spectrum or at least very, very introverted, very like lets people walk all over him. 
And when he teams up with Glenn Howerton's character, who's like, I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to be the ruthless businessman. And you're like, oh, he's going to take advantage of him. But instead, it's this weird relationship where like, oh, I'm becoming stronger by kind of learning from you. It, it's just it's really amazing. But and then Matt Johnson kind of rounds out that trio as this guy who says, I just want to be a fun nerd. Like and the moment where Matt Johnson is told to his face that by by uh, Jay Baruchel that like that, like, you got to be serious. We're not kids anymore. That that kind of hit me hard. That made me tear up a little bit. But what also made me tear up is that this movie's just fucking funny. It, it really is really funny. <clears throat> and like like you said, see the just making a story about the invention of the Blackberry and. And I still say this is one of the best directed scenes of the year is when Jay Baruchel's character learns of the iPhone. Like the way it's set up, it's just so glorious. And and the thing is, as an audience member, you know it's going to happen. And, and just the way it plays out is just so ingenious where, where Jay Baruchel's character goes like, no keyboard? That's the stupidest shit I've ever seen. And you, and like everyone else, oh, it, Guys, watch the movie and watch that scene and tell me that's not one of the best just directed and performed scenes of the year because it it's just so well done, so so it felt so true to life. Like of course that's what he would have said the moment he saw the presentation with Steve Jobs. That of course that's what he would have said. But no, I really really loved Blackberry. And I've told everybody like you want a great movie that's gone under the radar, watch Blackberry. It's it's great, and it, it really is, like, one of the best versions of, like, how was this invented? Which sometimes can be pretty bad, because I saw Flaming Hot, and that was actually a dumpster fire. <laughs> but, uh, but no, give Blackberry a watch, and it's my number seven. All right. All right. Moving on. Number, number six. Okay. So, number six, sitting at a 82% critic score and a 94% audience score. Probably, mm, it's probably my favorite Marvel movie of all time. Uh, I really love a fully realized superhero that doesn't have to learn anything more about their powers or capabilities. Um, and that's what we get a whole team of in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, I love... I love the fact that, like, on their own, when they're separated, they can handle their own, but they don't always win. But at the end, when they all come together, they're just kicking ass. Um, like they're 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 unstoppable, and, it, and it's 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 brilliant. Um, I also love like they don't have to learn anything about their capabilities or or what they can do, and like, there's nothing they have to learn physically to beat the bad guy. All they have to do is come together to beat the bad guy. But each person has their own individual individual personal journey. Peter Quill has to get past his loss of Gamora and and really figure out what he wants in life and, and where he wants to be. Uh, uh, Nebula needs to learn to trust others and and let them have the space to be themselves and to, to be a leader and, and, and to, 
you know, let others help and, and be who they are. Uh, Mantis needs to learn that she needs to learn who she is and be on her own for a while and, and not always be with other people, uh, kind of defining who she is. And, and Drax just needs to be a father again. And it's, it's all really great. The Rocket backstory is heartbreaking and compelling and perfectly sums up how he turned into the character that he is uh, all the way up to this point. And it's a really good end scene where he's leading the new Guardians. Um, that said, on a personal level, you both know what kind of bullshit I had walking into 2023, uh, personally in my life. C got a very up close, uh, front row seat of it and knows more than anyone what was going on with me. Now I'm, I'm sure C, you could definitely say that I'm in a much better place now than I was a year ago. Um, yes. But for me, what makes this movie uh, what makes this in my top 10 and, and really makes me love it is when I saw this that was the moment I started healing from all that bullshit. And I just needed to see other people overcome their struggles and become the best versions of themselves. And it was just like the right place at the right time for me. And, you know, when we had our, you know, our little tuffle about, you know, recording this episode, like that's why I took things so personally was because this was personal for me. And this was something I needed in my life that helped me move on and grow. And, and just, yeah, for me, that's like, objectively, I can't put this in number one, but I really wish I could just because of what this did, this one did for me. So, um, I'm really grateful for what James done, James Gunn did with this one with, with what everyone brought with this one. And, and also for me, this was my exit of the MCU. Um, like I've, I've completed my journey in that universe and I don't really need to be invested in any, in any other Marvel projects moving forward. So it, it was a, it was a lot of closure and a lot of healing and growing for me. So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. You're next. Yes. Um, okay. My number six, um, this is a movie that I actually consider myself very lucky to have caught in theaters. It was only in theaters for a very short amount of time. It then very quickly went to Hulu. To anyone who has not seen it, I recommend it. Um, and that is Theater Camp. This movie is fucking hilarious. Uh, and really not entirely in the way you expect. Somewhat in the way you expect, of course, but also not entirely, as I've said. Um, 
this is really a love letter to movies that I love, which include like Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, uh, A Mighty Wind, uh, Spinal Tap being the OG of them all. These really interesting and niche, but really fucking funny mockumentaries. Um, and that's what this is. It's basically a mockumentary about a theater camp for kids of all ages. Um, we've, we talked about this in the, this movie before, but I have a somewhat personal connection to it in the sense that throughout middle school, I did theater camp. So I was somewhat familiar with that world. I understood some of the, some of the kids that were portrayed in this movie. I'm like, I remember you kind of, you know, not, not exact one-to-one copies, but definitely similar things. But I think what most impresses me about this movie, and Al alluded to this previously when we talked about it, is there were quite a few writers involved on this movie, and the sheer fact that they were make able to create something so uniquely cohesive, because a lot of times once you get more than two writers, you do often struggle, not always, but you do often start to struggle more and more with the script sounding like a singular piece. Um <clears throat> And somehow these four writers were able to just make something that felt like it was written by one person, genuinely. Um, the acting is also phenomenal, but not only is the comedy amazing, the comedy is unexpected at times, where in the sense that you think they're going to just make fun of one character in a certain way, and yes, they make fun of that character, but they manage to also give that character still some semblance of a heart and a soul, like, it's not that he's a complete buffoon, it's that he is just irreparably misguided, which is a much better approach to take, uh, and not one that I expected it to take as well. Um, so yeah, uh, Theater Camp is my number six. Highly recommend it, folks. Really funny, and another sleeper hit of the year, in my opinion. All right. Uh, my number six is The Iron Claw. And I fucked up. I admit that. I'm I'm sorry, you guys. You were you were right. I, it was a giant fuck up on on my end. Uh, I I saw this with uh with with my brother and with with my my father, and that just wasn't the right call. And they told me these these two guys told me don't do it, don't do it. You're did you, what is wrong with you? Don't do it. And I was like, guys, I I know what happens. Like I I I, I got a bird's eye view of the plot. I'm I'm fine. And uh, no, I was not fine. And the reason I was not fine is because and, and everything that uh, has been said about the Iron Claw is true. The, the script, you know, isn't as polished as it could have been. But man, what really gets you is those performances. What really gets you is just the enormity of the tragedy. And what really hit me hard is that I'm a brother to a brother. That's that's a very difficult relationship to explain. You know, it really is, especially when you're the older one. And what really got me in this film is that these the, the, these four actors, uh, Zac Efron, uh, Jeremy Allen White, uh, uh, Harris uh, Dickinson and um, right there. Yeah, Harris Dickinson and uh, uh, the, the, the fourth one. Oh, God, he, he's kind of a he's kind of a new kid on the block. Uh, Shane Stoney, I think was his name. Um, anyway, they, you really, really do believe them as brothers. Uh, you, you, 
because here's the thing about brothers is that all they really want to do is just hang out, have a good time, have fun. Um, Stanley Simons is the fourth brother. Uh, man. Uh, when the tragedy happens and it happens very swiftly and hard, it, 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 it really hit me hard when, because you know what's going to happen if you know the story, if you know the tragedy. But what you don't expect is like just seeing the suffering of these performers faces because they just lost their brother. And it just kept getting worse and worse that, oh, God, like it's a meme now. But pick your poison. My father cried at a certain spot. I cried at a certain spot. My my brother cried at a certain spot. But we all agree the 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 spot that really 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 hit us hard was at the very end. There's an epilogue involving Zac Efron and uh, the the children. And I'm not gonna say the line because it's already I'm already tearing up a little bit. But it it was just it just encapsulates just like the relationship of the desire that male desire of, of brotherhood that I was like, Oh my God. And, uh, when we left the theater, all the women were like, Waka was great guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> I was waiting for that bit in the story. I'm so sorry. But I listen, didn't mean to laugh these, that. these actors are amazing. Oh, uh, these are Sean Durkin, this Canadian filmmaker captured a very iconic American tragedy in a very specific part of, of of this country and he paid it the due respect it it deserved and honestly like yeah the this the script isn't again like i said it isn't as polished but definitely one of the best films of the year and it's a tragedy that it didn't get nominations at the oscars but uh but give it a watch just know that if you're a brother or if you're a a a, a, a brother who is a brother as well who has a brother who has brothers Man, I'm telling you, it's going to fucking hit you. Like, I was hugging my brother going like, I just, you know, I love you so much. You know, you, you know that I'll always have your back. And that's just, yeah, 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 you guys were right. What, what can I say? I was wrong. You guys were right. <laughs> you guys were probably thinking like, man, I wonder, I wonder if we should like get like hidden cameras for Al because he's going to make such a big mistake. <laughs> Any look, questions? Look, when... When both C and I are telling you the same thing, you have to listen. I, I should have listened. I really or at least should. be aware, like, oh, maybe they both know what they're talking about. Because I'll, I'll say this. I, I, I understand I didn't put it in my top ten, but it was, again, a narrow, slim margin. I remember after Jay and I walked out of that movie, I needed a fucking minute. I could not, like, properly articulate <laughs> my feelings towards that movie in a cohesive way. I just had to like process because there's the, the moment that got everyone, it got me. And then having seen the whole, the whole thing just wrecked me in such a profound fucking way. Like it really, it's a devastating film. It's, there's no denying. Again, this, this for brothers who have brothers, be very careful. <laughs> just be, you've been warned. All right. Uh, moving on. Top five. Number five. Top five. I promise I'm okay, but this is also another movie that made me cry. Oh, um, We're just all uh, crying here. Look. Look. Over the course of 
history, of the course of cinematic history, there are a handful of perfect films. Films that almost instantly become timeless and classics that are passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation that also become a part of our culture. We're talking The Wizard of Oz. We're talking uh, Mary Poppins. We're talking Jurassic Park, even, and Star Wars, you know? Now, a lot of times with these movies, when, when the studios are like, oh, it's time to make a new one or a prequel or a sequel, it doesn't always work. We've seen what happened to the Jurassic Park series. We've, we've seen both good and bad with what they were doing with The Wizard of Oz. We've seen a lot of bullshit come after Psycho. Um, so, there's just, there's just, you just kind of come to expect that they'll never be able to capture the magic of the original. Now, when I heard they were making a prequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I rolled my eyes. I I was still butthurt over the atrocity that is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> made by terrible director Tim Burton and a horrible rendition of Willy Wonka by Johnny Depp. So much so that Gene Wilder himself had to say how awful it was what they did to this character. Like, like when you hurt Gene Wilder, you hurt America, okay? Let's just, let's just put it there. Um, also, you guys did mention this in the Welcome podcast. When they announced this, Gene Wilder had also just died. So it was, like, fraction. It was just, like... That's right. That's right. Uh, like, like, they don't have a good track record, and then Wilder just died, and just, like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, like I had no intention of seeing this. I ended up seeing this with my dad over Christmas because none of the other things that he wanted to see I was interested in and and none of the other things I wanted to see he was interested in. So this, this was this was the middle place. So I I went. I was like, alright, you know what? I'll figure it out. I'll go. I would have been so pissed at myself had I seen this on streaming later knowing I missed the chance to see this in theaters. This is such a magical, whimsical, even fantastical story. Um, I really enjoyed the music. I really enjoyed the silliness of it all and and the the wonder they create with this. Um, we we get the start of the Wonka Slughorn uh, rivalry. We get we get you know a really interesting backstory into the Oompa Loompas and. You know, you guys are worried about uh, them overusing pure imagination, but but the expert thing they do here is they let you have the entire movie with all its emotional ups and downs and and great music and great songs and and great storylines, and then they give you pure imagination, and that's when it's got you. Like that's like they. They they had you interested when he starts sharing the chocolate with his friends and he sees his mom again, but then they they play pure imagination and that's when they've gotten. I know you guys hadn't seen the original before you saw Charlie's Chocolate Factory. Um, I grew up on this movie. 
among others. So I think for me, that's why it's so high up and why you guys can't put it in your top 10 or this high up. Like, I, I think you have to have had that childhood experience with the, with the original movie first in order for this to carry the weight that it has. Um, that said, I, I, this was my big surprise of the year and I'm so very happy I saw it. I, I have no, not, not out of not interest. I genuinely have no questions. I agree. It's, it is a massive shock. That it is where it is. Paul King is a king. That's all I'm gonna. Yeah, say. and like I, I remember I texted you guys. You're like, "There's no way." No, I, <laughs> like, I was a believer. Believe I had me. already seen the first two Paddingtons. I was a believer. I was the denier. I was the you naysayer see, in that. Steve I was, was the like, "Ah, oh, there's no way it's good. There's no way." And then, and then he's, he's like, "God damn it! Why is it so good?" I was mad. I was mad because yeah. it's like this disrupts my list. Um. No, yeah, it's, it was a masterclass in, and it, what, what's amazing about this movie too was how it, uh, it brought out references, and I mentioned this in the episode, like, but to the older musicals of the era, that's mm-hmm. really what it brought out in such a masterful way that I wouldn't have dreamed a modern movie could have pulled off. I thought La La Land was as good as we were gonna get with that, but no, Wonka really showed the fuck up. Yeah, and it, and. And we all were writing it off, and it was just like, "Well, shit." Yeah. All right. Alrighty. Um, my number five. Uh, this is. Let me think. Let me just check. Yeah. So, my number five is one that I remember. Al was kind of surprised at how good this was, but more specifically at the directors involved with this. My number five is the horror Australian horror film Talk to Me. Um, this is, and I hate to use descriptors that a lot of the, the, that never mind. That's too deep of a reference. This movie was intense, bloody, and raw. But what really saves all that? Because there's bad versions of this movie that could have existed. What saves this is the impeccable acting. All around the unexpected ending that I'm not going to say and the just the way in which this movie silently builds the lore around the MacGuffin object. It doesn't over explain it. It just is there and bad things surround it and you accept that and you get into it right away Um Even the non-horror sequences are really well shot. I was really hoping also this movie was going to get a nomination for Best Makeup Effects, but alas to say that did not happen. Um, But this has shown the two... And I don't don't remember the real brothers' names, but they had the YouTube channel called Raka Raka, which I never really watched a lot of their videos. Al had... You can hear more on that episode. But... What a horror movie this was. This is what... And what I also like about it is, yes, A24 is the... They're the backers of this. But it is really not like an A24 horror movie. Good or bad, A24 horror has a certain vibe. And it's kind of like a a high concept vibe that seems to be what they go for a lot. 
This does not do that. This is like full on the ring, full on, uh, you know, just that a certain kind of grungy, honest horror film that other horror movies of this of 2023 tried to do. And though they did fine, they didn't pull it off quite right. But this... I love a good horror movie, and Talk to Me was a fucking great horror movie. It's my number five. Any questions? Well, first of all, I have uh, my lights in my bedroom on a timer, and that was a really bad movie to be talking about when that timer went off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. It was like, oh, oh God. Uh, oh, God, it's coming. <laughs> uh, so my question for you is, like, one, I next, when you're ready to see this again, I'll watch it with you, but... Uh, how are the jump scares? Are there jump scares, and, and are they good, or are they just like whatever? Or... So there are there are oh like, my god there are some jump scares, yeah, and they're good. Okay. But what's it's but here's the thing: it's not solely jump scares. What what's great about it is because it's not the scariest movie in the world. Let me be clear about that. It is disturbing there, though. It's disturb. Oh, of course, it's disturbing. But. It's not the scariest movie in the world. I'm not going to like pitch this as you're going to shit your pants. It's so scary. Like at the end of the day, the conjuring is like a scarier movie. Like that's one of the scariest movies that's ever been made in my lifetime. In my opinion, this is not scarier than the conjuring, but, and you shouldn't expect it to be, but it is scary. It's scary, but, but it's very disturbing and it's got great acting and it's just a really good horror movie that I have been craving. Um, but what I like about it all, I think it's the acting that really sells it because you get you get these teenagers that basically act like actual teenagers and honestly handle the situation in a way that I'm, I'd say, 75% sure would actually be handled in the modern day should this happen. It's like, yeah, they'd be dumb enough to do this, they'd be, but they'd be smart enough to do that. Like, it's kind of a back and forth. Um, so... It, but yes, to answer your question originally, yes, there are scares in it, and they do work when they happen. Okay. I I have no questions. All right. All right. So my number five is the best movie Greta Lee was in in 2023, uh, and that is Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Oh my gosh! I so basically everything Jay said about like like following up a bona fide classic like i was so blown away by into the spider-verse and just the animation everything about it when i heard like well yeah we're gonna make two more i was like ah you guys aren't gonna reach these heights that's just not gonna happen especially because the original director decided to move on to something else and uh, they were like, oh, it, it was like, I'm moving on. I, I already told the story I wanted to tell. Peter, Peter Ramsey, by the way, for those that are wondering. And they got this guy who basically was a television director in Joaquin de Santos to take over. I was like, oh, it's, it's just not going to reach the heights. Like, like the Lego movie couldn't do it. Uh, the, really and truly, the Shrek movies couldn't do it. It was a miracle that, too, was as good as it was. Uh, Pixar can't really do it outside of Toy Story. Like, it's not going to happen. And then I and and then I saw Across the Spider Verse, and not only is Shamik Moore really, really, he's even better as Miles Morales because Miles Morales is more developed. 
uh, Oscar Isaac as uh, as uh, Miguel O'Hara is just perfect. This is one of the not only not only was it one of the best animated movies of the year. I I think it's the best straight up superhero movie of the year. It was just so good. It's it's so authentic. That's what I love about it. It's so authentic. It's authentic, and the character of Miles Morales. Like, listen, I they invented Miles Morales when I was in college, so I never had an, uh, a really close association with him. It's not he wasn't he's not a character that I that spoke to me in any way. But the way Shamik Moore plays him, the way Miles Morales is written, man, I just related so much to that. I really did. And there's a moment, there's a moment where he's kind of like monologuing about like, he just wants to be his own person. He doesn't want to, you know, he wants to be his own Spider-Man in a way. And that really got to me because I think everyone has felt like that. They were like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. And the fact that he said it with such confidence, I was like, man, as a kid, as a, as a teenager who really didn't know what was going on after certain things happened in high school, I really, really wish I heard that. I really wish I heard that. And I'm glad some kid out there is going to be hearing that. Just, yeah, be Spider-Man your own way. Speaking of Spider-Man, all the Spider-Man cameos here, you would think, okay, this is too much. Nah, more, more, <laughs> more. And it's, it's, it's great. It really is. And, um, the this is probably this movie probably has the best cliffhanger of 2023 and here's the thing it's not one it's not a marvel cliffhanger where it's like oh shit this is happening nah they play it out where you're like oh god this is happening oh god what's gonna (laughs) happen and and then they're like well tune in next time so i'm beyond excited for beyond the spider-verse but yeah this is my uh this is my fifth favorite movie best movie of 2023 Questions? Nada. Mm-mm. All right, moving on to number four. Four, baby. Well, oh, wow, we're we're in it now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is it fair we're talk- starting to? Is it? I'm sorry. Is it fair we're starting to split hairs here? Is that fair? Maybe. Sure. Okay. I don't know. For I'll, I'll speak for myself. I think it is, but that's just me. Okay. I mean, you do you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, my number four is sitting at a whopping total of 97% on Rotten Tomatoes as another example of you don't need a world-ending event to make a really good movie. Um, probably This is probably going to end up being my favorite Christmas movie of all time, and it might have to be on the annual rotation. Um, but it is the heavily nominated The Holdovers. Yes! Um, <laughs> uh, look, like, I don't really jump out of my seat and run to the nearest theater anytime a Paul Giamatti movie comes out. <laughs> and I've been on set with Paul Giamatti. So, you know, it's just like, it's, you know, it's just, just, I know, you know what you get with him. And, and, and credit to the marketing team, because the trailer really makes sure you know that and does a great <laughs> job of selling. It does. 
It does. Because I think, I think when we, like, I, C and I saw this trailer for the first time together, they were like, okay, like, we need to see this, right? Um, one thing I really love about this is that they make Paul Giamatti's character, he's the old character, but they, but he becomes younger. And then, uh, Angus, the, the kid in this movie, he's the young character, but they make him older as time goes on. Like, like they, they, they start meeting in the middle a little bit. Um, and form this kind of weird teacher student bond between them two while they're home alone or in school alone over the holidays. Um, I am heavily rooting for Divine Joy Randolph to, win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Um, if if she doesn't win, we riot kind of thing. Like, a really... They don't... They they tell you her story right away, but they don't throw it in your face right away. They, they let... They let you get to know her, who she is in this moment first, and then they bring the heavy stuff. Uh, which I think is a really excellent choice there. Um, the the ultimate sacrifice he's, he makes at the end of the movie, like, sorry, spoilers alert, th- I think is, like, very... It's very heroic and Greek of him. Like, like the things he's teaching his students, he, he ends up doing uh, and becoming a, a sacrificial hero for them kind of thing, you know, um, and, and it's really just a great story of these people, these misfits who are alone on Christmas, who decide to spend it, who spend it together and, and become their own little weird dysfunctional family. Um, top notch performances all around, really excellent directing, cinematography's there, the music's there, the, the costume and production design is there. All around, just an excellent production. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I could just keep going on about this movie and how much I laughed, how much I cried, how much I felt watching this movie. Um, definitely, definitely excited to see more from this director. Definitely excited to see more from Divine Joy Randolph. Because holy shit, uh, and that's all I got. Alrighty, um, I'm assuming no questions, but if I'm wrong, speak now, forever hold your peace. Um, okay, well, uh, Jay, speaking of world-ending events, uh, my number four is the one and only Oppenheimer. Uh, there is so much I could say about this movie, but it has already been said. This took the mold of what people imagined a biopic to be, and fucking shattered it in the best way possible. Um, This movie isn't just in a movie. It is a goddamn experience. I loved this movie. It was wonderful, and it was so... It hits home for you in so many ways. I also said splitting hairs because, yes, splitting hairs. It broke my top five. It is number four. It's splitting hairs as to why. I, 
It's not that I didn't connect with this movie. It's that the movies that I will mention afterward, I connected with a little bit more. Um, Killian Murphy is giving a groundbreaking performance as Oppenheimer. All of the other actors are doing an incredible job as well. Um, this whole movie is shot with such a timely, precise nature that it is almost mathematical in the way it's shot, but it's still... Well, no, there's nothing still about it. It's just, it's mathematical in the way it's shot, but in its edit, it's chaotic in its editing, and it all blends perfectly together. One particular note I'll add is for me, the best performance, though, has to go to Robert Downey Jr., who I think is going to win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. We'll see if that ends up happening, but I think he's, he's got the best shot at it because for such a recognizable actor, he disappears into that role completely like it is insane how much he just becomes that character um i will admit that initially certain artistic choices of the movie went over my head but once i learned what they were from jay i loved the movie even more but yeah if there are no questions i don't think there are going to be questions because well we'll see but feel free to ask if you have any no what did you learn from me again? Uh, the use of black and white and color and when it was and when it wasn't. I didn't quite okay, yeah. understand that. Wait, you didn't know that? No, I understood. I recognized they were doing it, but I couldn't tell the reasoning. I couldn't fully place the reasoning. Because for a while I thought it was, is it Strauss? Is it when we have Strauss? Or it's like, it's Strauss scenes or it's, it's Oppenheimer scenes, but that wasn't necessarily the case. I did not recognize that it was the perspective that was changed. I'm going to make you feel that. I, I thought it was very obvious. But... It was not to me. Uh, not, not. Uh, my brother watched this last night on his flight home from Tokyo, and he got it right away, too. I don't know what's right. going on, man. But uh, you okay? I... You good? You well, good? we can talk. We... Okay. Don't. We're not doing this. Okay. Okay. Um... Okay. <laughs> Let me... speaking, speaking, of, speaking of Tokyo, my number four, uh, uh, Minkanto Shikai's Suzume. And you guys, oh, I, yeah, shit. I listen. I love Mikoto Shinkai. I love his movies. I, I think I've told you both the story that I saw uh, your name and a couple hours I was in the gym and I was sobbing on the treadmill and I didn't know why. It was literally that like, why am I crying? I don't know why I'm crying. Uh, Suzume made me cry, but I, I didn't know why I cried. What I loved about this movie is the the characters are so so i'm not going to get into the full plot of the movie but suffice to say it's this magical adventure that kind of ties into the uh the earthquakes that happened back in uh 20 2011 and mikoto shinkai is basically using this movie to kind of get his thoughts across over what's going on and i absolutely like adored what he was doing here i thought it worked really well um but why this is my number four top movie of all time is quite simply just the characters uh the characters of suzume uh she's this high school girl who you know you know orphan misses her mom and it wants kind of something more in life and you know it 
it's always crazy when you're like, how am I relating to a high school girl? How is this happening? And then we also have Soda, who, uh, Soda Munakata, who basically is this like badass priest who has to put this ghost away and he turns into a chair. And now you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to relate to a chair? And then there's one scene that happens in the film that made me realize this is going to be one of my favorite movies of the year was that the chair starts chasing after a cat. And it's so cute and so funny that I can I I literally put out gifts of that scene just to rewatch. And I'm like, this this is amazing. And to say nothing of the animation. Do you know how crazy it is when I have to say that Mikoto Shinkai out animated Hayao Miyazaki? Do you know how crazy that sounds? And you know that how cr- is insane. Do you know how crazy it is that it's true? It's verifiably true? Oh my god. This this is Shinkai at his best. Does it reach the heights of your name? No, but it's damn close. It's damn close. And the characterizations are so good. The animation is gorgeous. And quite frankly, the resolution of the story of Suzume's story is so sweet, so heartbreaking that I I was crying. I was crying. <laughs> ironically enough, ironically enough, someone else who see and I watched the movie with was crying because of the cat. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, it is a great movie. Please go give it a watch. Uh, it kind of, because it came out all the way back in spring, people forgot about it, and probably why it didn't get a nomination for best animated feature. But uh, listen, it it's great. It's really good, and uh, y'all should y'all should watch it. And by y'all, I mean the audience. M- any questions? Mm-mm. All right, moving on to number three. We're at the top three, folks. Let's go. Now, for number number three, which sits at a solid ninety five percent of Rotten Tomatoes, I know I've talked about you know. Movies that don't have to have a world-ending event and and you know the television story, but what if you have a multiverse-ending event? <laughs> what if what if there's a character that you really like, you you really enjoy, and and all of a sudden he's thrown into the middle of what could ultimately end everything, everywhere, and oh by the way, he dresses like. Everyone, everywhere. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is such a fun movie. Um, the, like, you, you know, the multiverse is a thing, apparently. We, we've, we have made the multiverse the new thing in Hollywood for everyone to do. Uh, MCU has done it. A24 has done it. Uh, and now animated Spider-Man is doing it as well, which is, you know, it's fine. You know, it, it works. Um, we are getting a Madam Web movie coming up. Like, I think what's great about it is, like, we've gotten the Spider-Man movies. We've gotten the Spider-Man cartoons. But now we're really going into the expanding universe that is the Spider-Verse. Um What makes Spider-Man such a great character in general is just how how average he is outside of this suit and how just a normal, everyday kid he can be. So when you start the movie with those problems, he's 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 fighting with his parents. He he 
can't necessarily seal the deal with this girl that he likes. Uh, and then he finds out there's a there's a club that he wants to belong to, but they they're just not inviting him. You know, it's 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 already a good movie there in and of itself. But when you make it Spider Man, and when you make it all the Spider Mans, then you've got something special. The first one was great; it was fun and. And the music for both of them just, like, really carries it to the next level. But here, you know, you know, Al said it's a great cliffhanger. Oscar Isaac does a great job as future Spider-Man. And, and like, Jason Schwartzman as the spot is just oh, really good. Like, yes. this wasn't a character I knew about, but all of a sudden... He's the most dangerous character in the entire multiverse. And he starts out as a joke, and here he is. Like, they just slowly raise his powers, his capabilities, and raises the stakes. It's not all of a sudden, oh, it's Thanos. He's coming to destroy everything. No, it's he starts robbing, trying to rob an ATM, and ends up trying to fuck everything up for Spider Man. Like, holy shit. What a ride we, we can expect when the next one comes out. Like, like, like it's it's a great introduction to that character, a great explanation for that character, and a great build up of that character. Um meanwhile, Miles just wants to be a part of the club, but they're not having it and uh I mean it's it's a hilarious movie. That's what you want in a good comic book movie. You want the action, you want the compelling uh hero arc and you want you want it to be funny and it has everything Unfortunately, a lot of things happened with the studio here, and a lot of people got let go. So I don't know what the future holds for this, but I really hope someone gets it together and we we get a great conclusion to the story. So yeah, fucking love Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. I I forgot to mention when I was talking about it, but Daniel Pemberton has created one of the most I I'm gonna say he's created one of the most iconic superhero scores I've 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 heard. Like hell, mm-hmm. his his Miguel O'Hara score. I mean, yeah, it went viral because of TikTok, but that rah, 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 like yeah. you hear that everywhere now. This yeah. this this is a movie our kids are going to be talking about. Like, oh, dad, play that again. This it, yep, that's what this movie's going to be. You're right. It's going to be the movie that we're going to low key almost get sick of, but then remember that it's. Oh, really I'll good. never get sick of this. Straight up, like, like it's it's. Again, how many times? It's, can you... it's equal parts movie and music video, and it it blends very perfectly. The the fact is that who knew that Sony Animation would be the ones that finally push animation past like the standard CGI stuff we've been seeing for the past ten years. You wouldn't have convinced me if you screamed it in my face until no. I saw it. No, also, also the blending of the animation styles is so brilliant, yeah. and then adding a live action uh, Donald Glover. <laughs> As the Prowler is perfect too. Like, like, what a great like cameo. Uh, we make a nod to the audience about that. Like, like, the blending of everything. Like, it definitely took thousands of hours to create this, and and you know, it could have it could have just been okay, but they made something great. I I gotta say, when I saw this, because I didn't see it with you guys, I saw it with my best friend. Someone in front of us goes after Don, uh, Donald Glover appears. Goes like, "Where's this Disney Plus show?" And me and my best friend had to hold our laughter. Yeah. Yeah. 
He really should have one, though. All right. Anything else? Moving on? Yeah, moving on. All right, you're next. My number three is The Holdovers. Um, Jay, you said it best. It's it's such a powerful... It's, it's, it's up there with one of the best Christmas movies now. Um, I want to mention, uh, and we talk about a little, we talked a little bit about this, how this movie really channels movies of a certain era, basically the seventies. But what really got to me about this movie was basically from like senior year of college of, of, sorry, of high school, all the way throughout when I'd come home for the summer or winter break in college, my dad would at least spend a couple of nights, you know, throughout that time showing me certain movies that he really wanted to make sure I saw. And a lot of the movies were some of the ones from the 70s era. Um, one notable one that I realized I've been try- I was trying to remember the name of this movie when we recorded the episode. But one sort of spiritual one thing that this is a spiritual successor to is a film called The Paper Chase, which is this amazing movie about these freshman law students trying to impress their professor came out in like the very early 1970s. Very well done, very powerful, but has the same exact feeling as this does in the sense that it's like this relationship with the students and the professor and, and all that. I, I can't recommend it enough. There's also a movie that uh, technically came out in the very early 80s, but has a very strong 70s feel still uh, called Shoot the Moon which is this really powerful... It's more movie about a family going through a divorce. It stars uh, Diane Keaton, most notably. Uh, also Albert Finney. Uh, very good. Has Peter Weller, interestingly enough, as well, which you don't expect. But point being, The Holdovers is channeling the intimacy that these movies in the 70s had that... While we get great movies throughout the 80s and 90s and they're fantastic in their own right, there's something about that era of film that we kind of lost in a way that managed to be revived only by the holdovers. And I hope, while I'm not asking for a bunch of movies to be like clones of 70s films, I am hoping that filmmakers take notes in, in, in the subtlety that you need to have that we need to bring back. So if nothing else, that is the reason why I put it at number three. Paul Giamatti is amazing in it. Divine Joy Randolph is fantastic. Um, the new kid on the block. Uh, what is that actor's name? The Dominic Cessna. Do- Dominic Cessna is incredible in this, but you also have a lot of the smaller character actors that really nail it. The only other thing I'll mention is I, I talk about the intimacy of this movie and the subtlety of this movie. A small example of this is in the beginning of the movie, there are these, you know, it's a boarding school. And one of the kids is complaining about how, you know, he's growing out his hair long to piss off his rich dad because he's a rebel and he wants to be independent and he's not going to do it, even though, you know, he knows he's not going to be able to go go home to Christmas, to go home for Christmas. Uh, And then he ends up going home to Christmas for various reasons. And at the very end of the movie, nothing is said, but the kid comes back and he's got a normal haircut now. And a really bad movie would have made a big deal of it where people are making fun of him for it. A medium movie, like a movie that's just okay, would have like had a moment where he like gets defensive about it, but no one said anything. 
hell, if I was writing this script, I would have been silly enough to do that. But what this movie does it th- is that this character just has the haircut and no one notices, no one cares, and nothing is said. But the actor has a subtle, like, uh, way about him, almost knowing he changed. And it's moments, little moments like that that make this movie so damn special and why I'll be re-watching it at least every Christmas, uh, if not every other Christmas or something. So yeah, <clears throat> The Holdovers is my number three. Oh, and before I forget, the soundtrack to this movie is so damn good. So damn good. But yeah, love oh. it. All right. Um, this this is I think this is the first instance that's happened in this episode, but... We have the same number three, see? No. Yeah, the holdovers, folks. Uh, I said it. I think in our in our pre in pre, the review of the holdovers, but I really, really needed to see this movie. Like, like I was, I was very disappointed in what was happening with the film industry here in America, and I saw the holdovers literally before before I saw Godzilla minus one and seeing the holdovers just gave me faith that, Oh, America can still make great movies. Jay and Sia, right? This is, this is one of the best Christmas movies made in recent memory by far, by far. Paul Giamatti. Like we always knew he was a great actor. I really think we should be talking about him being one of the best actors in his generation. Like, this performance, his John Adams performance, the stuff he does on stage, his comedic stuff. Like, I was watching this movie and all I kept thinking to myself was like, Alexander Payne is playing such, like, not not homage, but literally painstakingly recreating a Hal Ashby movie. Which I was like, this guy brought Hal Ashby back to life and said, hey, you want to make one more movie? And I just take credit and you go back to your coffin. I, I gotta say... Uh, Devin Joy Randolph is amazing in this. Uh, Dominic Cezanne is amazing in this. But what really, really, really sold this to me, what really made me really be into this was the characters and the story being respectful to the characters, not turning them into broad, like, stereotypes you would see in a movie. Like, uh, Jay and C have mentioned it. Uh, there's a moment where... Uh, Devine's Joy Randolph's character is, is is having a breakdown, but it's not a Hollywood breakdown. It's a it's a it's a real one, like like one you would see in real life. And the movie plays it so perfectly. And there's never this movie doesn't have that like, oh, the teacher and student are now best. There's that scene where they where they're BFFs forever. No, no, no. It's an organic uh, understanding of each other. It, it's oh, it's just so well done and Hollywood I was really afraid that Hollywood just stopped making stuff like that like uh, not not just Hollywood but that you just weren't getting that in America anymore like I, I think I was mentioning it to see that sometimes stuff like that you had to go for in Italy Europe uh, Japan Korea uh, uh, Latin America yeah you weren't getting that here and Alexander Payne was like nah fuck that I'm bringing that over here I'm bringing it back and he did and I'm just so happy I saw the holdovers. I'm it. This movie means a lot to me because I really was like 
really depressed over what was happening because you know you we're doing this we're doing this uh, podcast to to review movies to kind of ha- kill some time, and when you just see stuff that's just not inspired anymore, you, you get depressed, you get mm-hmm. sad, you you start thinking to yourself like, is everything just gonna be this bland like superhero stuff from now on that I used to like and now it's just all terrible. And then this comes along and I was like, no, no, there's there's still something there. And listen, Killian Murphy, you're my boy. I love you. But I really think that Paul Giamatti gave the best performance of the year. Um, this is a movie like when I have my kids, I'm going to be showing them when they're teenagers. Of course, this, this has some language and be like, listen. This is one of the best Christmas movies you'll ever see. It just encapsulates the holiday so well and encapsulates the vibes you feel during that winter in New England when you're in a boarding school because your rich family are assholes. <laughs> and by the oh, one one last thing. Uh, penis cancer is one of the best insults you can give to your enemies. Please use it. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Any commentary? What? What are you? What are you going to show them? Your kids first, the holdovers or the iron claw? Ha! <laughs> uh, the hold. The hold. No, I'm the, the, the very know. first movie they'll ever ever see will probably be. Uh. Pro- oh my god! It's gonna be Saw Three. No, no, no! It's no! It's gonna be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Oof. Right. The oh, a classic. And then, and then yeah, we'll, there's, there's not we'll, much blood in it. It's and, and, and then we'll follow that with uh, E.T. <laughs> Fucking Jesus! Anywho, God. moving on. Top two. Top two. Okay. Sitting at the highest total score of the Rotten Tomatoes scores I have here. Uh, Spambot's not withholding at 98%. Um, maybe it's recency bias. Maybe it's just because I saw a second version of this that just completely blew me away. But man, you gotta give credit to Godzilla minus one minus color. Hmm. I knew I like I saw Godzilla minus one and I loved it, and it was it was floating around in the bottom half of the top ten and and kind of making its way to honorable mentions until last night. I knew within the first sixty seconds before like the first thing you see is a plane landing on the runway and before the plane lands on the runway, I knew this was going to be way better than the in-color version. Like, I just I just knew. Like, instantly. Um, before you even see a person, I just knew. And C said something really, really good. Like, the black and white completes this film. And it takes away the biggest criticism, which is the CGI. And there isn't really much of a criticism to the CGI because then you realize they only made this with $15 million. They're like, oh, wow, they actually did really good for the CGI. But the black and white hides a lot of the mistakes and the and the campiness and the the unrealistic uh, features that we get in in the CGI from this. So then, what's left? Like, like I don't know how much more you can criticize it after that. Like, it's 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 almost a damn near perfect film. 
you know, see, you guys mentioned this, like, it's a great human story. We don't get the great human stories in Godzilla movies, especially the current ones in the MonsterVerse. Like, like, like the what and 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 the and Godzilla versus Kong. The themes that the humans do and the themes that the monsters do have no correlation whatsoever. Nothing that happens with the humans affects the monsters. Nothing that happens with the monsters really affects the humans, except. They might get stepped on. Like it's it's just you have two different movies and they just don't come together. Here, you have a really good story about survivor's guilt and about a country that's really tried to find its identity after a tragic war that just rocked its socks off. Um uh, it, it's Everyone is suffering with loss and pain and trauma in their own way. Um, and and in the end, everyone is able to fight that off by fighting Godzilla. Um, it, when's the last time I think we saw a really good scene where they just talk about the plan? Like a lot of times it's a montage and it's, and it's added with like them getting their gear on and everything and and getting a place to play the action or, or we see them do the action and then it's just a it's just a uh flash forward but then we get the real action. Like like a lot of times when you see a planning of of how they're gonna fix everything, you just get that. But here we get an entire scene that explains the entire plan of how they're gonna fight Godzilla. And it gives the entire room the space to respond critically and emotionally to what they're hearing. Um, like, I really appreciate the point of view of Japanese soldiers after the war. Because we don't really get that a lot. We get a lot of American soldiers and a lot of British soldiers who come home from the war... We don't really get a lot of German stuff, and that's really more complicated based on what was happening in Germany at the time. But we definitely don't get enough of the Japanese soldiers who, in the war, were ruthless and were fierce. And it took two atomic bombs to get them to quit. Like, like they were prepared to fight to the death. And, like, here's a, here's a crazy fact about World War II. Like, we haven't made a new... Purple Heart Metal since 1945 because they had so much in stock preparing for a mainland invasion of, of Japan. Um, oh my god. Like, yeah. So, so like, we, like, both sides were gearing up for it. Both sides were gearing up for a fight to the death. Like, total death. And, and it's a really interesting critique of Japanese culture and how there has been an expectation to die for your country. Like if you fail, you die and you take how many ever with you. And the change here is, is that, is that it, it's not just, it's, 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 it's because our hero is the last one to figure it out, but everyone else gets there before him. Like they're like, like we used to fight to the death, but now we need to fight to live for our future is the quote. And, and, that's just a great sentiment, especially 
in an era, in a place that is the entire country is living in post-traumatic stress. Um, the the mechanic storyline I particularly love because not only does he have to come to that realization that we have to fight for to live for our future, but he also has to forgive. He also find a place to forgive Koshi for for his mistakes and his flaws and his actions during the war. And it's just great. Like everyone, everyone has their own arc and their own experience from the war and their own battles that they have to fight, including just background characters. Like, uh, you know, there are background characters in the media who are asking questions like, why are we, why are we the ones who have to keep putting our lives on the line? Why are we the ones who have to keep, uh, making the sacrifice and and in the end they still end up getting on these ships to fight for a future in Japan and, and it was a really great line it was like look at their faces they're finally fighting to make a difference and it's just it's it's such a great just overall arc for all these individual arcs and like each character has something personal and I, I think I'm just repeating myself here with this um I don't really like the kaiju movies and the big monster movies. They just have never done it for me until this one. Um, and then when you add the black and white to it, it I, I said this to C last night, it's almost as if they had convinced Kurosawa to make a Godzilla movie. <laughs> like they, yeah. they paid enough tribute to the original movies while resetting uh, the cycle of of Godzilla movies where he's the culmination of all that was evil and destructive of the war that Japan had to face. Um, and yeah, it, we just like every little detail was thought through every, like, I don't even know if I could find any plot holes for this. Like they, they, they covered their bases here. Um, and everyone did everything they could to sell the story. And, I mean, goddamn! What a great film. A, I've I've heard many people say this was the best film of the year, and they're not wrong. That's a definitely a glowing review of it, and I agree that the black and white or minus color is uh, the definitive version of this movie. Uh, but uh, moving on, I'm assuming no questions. Yep. Uh, why? Um, my number two is, uh, I'll say it, Past Lives. Uh, this is a movie that could have been some sort of sappy, melodramatic, star-crossed lovers, but still alive, uh, romance. But it just takes that concept and simply does one thing. Let's put it in the real world. How would people actually react to something like this happening? And the result is one of the most tragic stories I have seen uh, in a long time. It is, I've talked about how this movie is beautifully shot, how this movie, the performances are absolutely incredible, but I will repeat again, what sets this apart, what makes this number two on my list, is it genuinely analyzes how human beings would handle uh, such an incredibly unique once-in-a-lifetime story like this. Any other movie would just be like, 
oh, but I must go and meet my love, and I must go do this, and I must move back to my home country where I was from originally and fulfill my life in the way that it was always intended to be. But the reality of, the, of it usually is I have a life here now. Uh, I can't abandon all I've, I've done already. That's insane. But I am still in pain that I have to do that. And that is really something that got to me a lot and has stuck with me. Um, it's got a great bookend in, in certain ways. It's, it's got a very similar beginning and a very similar ending. But not even, not even in the way it's shot, but specifically emotionally. It's got, it's got a really powerful bookend. Um, some people have called the cinematography a little, a little um, too pretty in the sense, like it's too, it's too much. I think the rather the cinematography is meant to reflect the emotion that the characters are feeling, and it is done with such grace that you buy it, or at least I buy it. Um, what a script as well. Um, and just what a movie overall. Uh, yeah, it's it's my number two for the year. Past Lives. Please see it if you have not. Any questions? Uh, any uh, any questions about Past Lives? Or if we're ready, we can... Uh, I don't mean to be so short with mine. It's just I've, t I've said what, a lot of what I said in past episodes. And I really love this movie a lot. I thought it was incredibly... It's rare that I find a romance that hits me so hard. But this this really did. So, but if any questions, please. No, I think we just leave it in the past. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, ha 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 ha! Uh, I gotta say, so I'm I'm going on to my number two. I have nothing to add to Fast Lives. I've never saw. Okay, okay. But uh, this was really hard, and I've come to realize that I don't really have a number two. I have a one A and a one B, <laughs> and okay. I I'm already revealing my hand by doing this, but. They both involve I, nuclear explosions, don't they? Yeah, and and you kind of have to watch them together. Yeah, you're you. It's almost you have to. And uh, I, I just want to say right now that uh, I did end up seeing minus color because uh, you know I, I had some time, but you you it was during the work hours, so okay, like okay. so. Please don't be mad. Just no, but anyway, you can see it. You all know, both of you, anyone who knows me knows. I love kaiju, but I especially love Godzilla. And I've said I said this in the review. I've I've, I've complained about this before Godzilla minus one hit my radar. That I was like the blockbusters this year just suck. Like outside of John Wick, there really was nothing. And I saw Godzilla minus one right after watching the holdovers, and I needed to see this movie as well because. I just thought blockbusters were, 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 were going to be mediocre bullshit factories for the rest of my days. And here comes this Japanese movie, this Japanese movie about a, 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 a fictional creature that means so much. You guys have seen the posters. You guys have heard the stories I've said. Godzilla means a lot to me. And I loved the last Toho Godzilla, Shin Godzilla I, I love all the MonsterVerse movies because I just love kaiju. But this, this was, this was the Godzilla movie I've just been waiting for for such a long time. And this was the blockbuster that I was yearning for this year. 
I minus one does something that, like you guys have said, no other Godzilla movie has done since the original 1954 Gojira. Give me human characters that I give a shit about. Not just give a shit about, that I actively cared for that i wanted to make sure nothing happened to them i wanted them to succeed i wanted them to defeat my favorite giant lizard and here's the thing when i saw it in black and white i didn't think oh akira kurosawa made a godzilla movie i thought oh ishiro honda came back from the dead to make the godzilla movie he always wanted to make the guy who created godzilla came back and the the scene where he's you know going through the destruction um the fact of the matter is godzilla godzilla what's happening in that scene i was so blown away by i was so blown away because i was like this this is literally how ishiro honda always shot godzilla always designed his sequences of of the destruction you know and the fact that uh the fact that in this version the, the way that that scene ends, it's so heartbreaking. So like, you're just going like, no, how could this happen? Why would this happen? It was just perfect. Uh, actual director of Minus One, Takashi Yamazaki, this animator, he, if Hollywood knew what was good for them, they would be knocking on his door begging, we will let you do anything. You want Star Wars, we'll give you Star Wars. You want Marvel, we'll give you Marvel. We'll give you anything, but please, for the love of God, bring back this talent that we've lost here. And no, the, the cinematography is great. The black, like, I love the black and white photography. I really do. But I think both versions have their, have their place. Um, and honestly, I, there's nothing much else I can say that you guys haven't said. This is my second. This is my one B movie of 2023. Um, and Takashi Yamazaki is a name that I will be on the lookout for uh, in the future, even if he sticks, stays in Japan or comes to America to make something uh, here. And if you make something here, you bet your ass that it's going to be something that'll blow us all away. So. Yeah, that's my number two. And now we're on to our number ones. I have a sneaking suspicion that me and Jay probably share the same number one, don't we, Jay? Do you guys want to say your number one together then? I think we share number one and number two. It almost three and four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's four pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Three and four was flipped. So, yeah. And if I'm, honest, if I'm being honest, I could switch three and four. They're probably the most interchangeable ones on my list. Hmm. Look at us. Um, <laughs> so do you, well, you want to say your number one yeah, together? Yeah, it's, it's Oppenheimer. It's, it's... It's... I can't think of any other bad movie that came out this year. Sorry. It's Oppenheimer. Um, Transformers, Rise of the Beast. I'm just right? <laughs> okay. You guys know that I'm a Christopher Nolan fanboy. Not in the toxic way, but like in the good way, in the objective way, in the I'm right about it way. You know? Um, so. You know that gliding is a thing. Yes. Oh, fuck you guys. <laughs> we are not doing this. Not tonight. Anyways. Anyways. Um, Chris Fernald's always been about the spectacle, about the 
the theater experience, you know, it's, 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 you know, about being in the moment. It's about what, how can we challenge ourselves, you know, um, and that's always kind of been his stick in his, in his MO and, and how he decides to make a movie until this, he actually decided to do a biopic and treat it as a biopic and, what better person for Christopher Nolan to do a biopic than Dr. Oppenheimer, the creator of nuclear fission, as we know it. Um, for my money, this is the best film of the year. Um, I have it as my winner for best picture. I, I just don't think there's anything else that comes close to the to the grand scale of this like cinematically speaking like I just what Chris Nolan does here on a personal level with his characters with a big ass IMAX camera is is simply incredible I mean uh, he you know they're talking about theoretical physics for most of this movie and yet we never get lost uh, the pacing is is there to help us move along but, but we're never just like lost at what they're doing we we understand the back and forth we understand uh, what different things mean like and and, and we understand what the consequences are of certain actions that certain characters make. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. Like, like we are able to follow along with the story of literal science. And it's great. Like, like every man can follow this kind of thing. Um, the, the point of view, the black and white versus the color is, is, for my money, the best part of it, I think, I, th I think I wish we had more scenes between Strauss and Oppenheimer because I think Killian Murphy and uh, RDJ w play really well with each other. Um, but at the same time, like they they both excel in their own right. I'm definitely pulling for Robert to pull to get that a uh, win uh, for best supporting actor, and I'm definitely pulling for Chris to get best director finally um because he's he's long overdue um i am i do think it's a total snub that it didn't get special effects at all um like what more do you want he th they recreated nuclear fission on a molecular level and didn't kill anyone like, what, what more do you want guys like come on um yeah, and, and you know it's a three-hour movie, right? And and it doesn't feel like it. It's Matt Damon is great in this. Like just everything. I, I say this a lot. Like everything comes together and it's all great. But this is truly, I believe, is Christopher Nolan's masterpiece. I think. I think. You know, he has his other movies that might be people's favorites, like The Dark Knight or Inception. Or Interstellar, maybe, but I think objectively, this is his masterpiece. This is something he's been waiting for to make. This is a story 
that he understood from the start and only he could have made this. Uh, so yeah, like number one is Oppenheimer. All right. Since we have the same number one, I guess I'll go next because yeah. uh, yeah. Seed just decided to be different. I decided to be weird. My favorite movie of all time is Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Uh, it was the film, and it it was the film that really kind of made me go like, "What is this? Whoa, this this is different." And it kind of opened my world up to like, what really filmmaking was. Um, I don't call Nolan my favorite filmmaker. Uh, there are weirder people who take that, but he did create. He did direct my favorite movie of all time. Um, you know, I, since Dunkirk, I've only seen Nolan movies in a very particular IMAX theater. And when I went to go see Oppenheimer, like you guys know, like in the first 10 minutes, the, uh, can you hear the music Robert scene starts playing. And I know this sounds really weird, but I, I, I started kind of crying when that started happening because, uh, Jay and C know, but, uh, I've, I've taken a turn in my life, you know, kind of seeing that a career in film isn't really in the cards. So I, 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 I took a turn in life, started a new chapter and that decision really came like that decision really got solidified. Like the, like the week Oppenheimer came out and it was just kind of a perfect little full circle moment for me where it was like the prestige made me want to be it be make films and Oppenheimer was me kind of going like well that's it time to move on but my god I got to see I'm seeing something amazing and and yeah even now I still get a little emotional because it's hard man it's hard to to leave it behind but man you just see genius like that and you think to yourself like at least there's someone out there doing it and that whole secret's like the music's by the way the music's gorgeous the, the music i believe it's the guy he's worked with since uh tenant uh gorag uh the the, the, the swedish guy mm -hmm. um and the performances, Killian Murphy here is just killing it. He's just killing it. Uh, you know, this is a guy, you know, he, he considers himself more of a character actor than a lead. And he's just, he's just commanding the screen. He's, he's also doing what he does the whole time. He's been doing the whole time. Like, I don't think he did anything different here. He's just, he's just in the right role. Yeah. Yeah. If, if anything, like, if anything, like this, this performance works so well because Killian Murphy is this, is this type of actor who's like, I command the screen by reacting with what my, my co-stars are giving me. But the thing that blew my mind, the thing that made me realize, oh, it's not just that Nolan's a genius. It's that he brings out the absolute he was like he's like Michael Jordan in a way. He brings out just the absolute best out of his out of his teammates because this movie reminded the world, oh yeah, 
Robert Downey Jr. at one point in time was considered the American Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, that's right. RDJ isn't just Tony Stark. He's one of the best actors of his generation. That monologue he gives as Louis Strauss, I started crying again just because I was like, Nolan Nolan brought back the untapped potential of Robert Downey Jr. that everyone thought was lost because of the drugs and then because of Marvel. And he brought it back. And the fact that this, this by the way, this the one of the criticisms that people threw at Oppenheimer's that like, oh, it's just a bunch of stunt casting, a bunch of like A B list actors that are very well known in little bit parts just to give the film prestige. Well, guess what? Every single character here is perfectly cast. Every single one. Rami Malik gets like one set of dialogue and he kills it. He just fucking kills it. Matt Damon like they made this they made a version of this story before called uh Fat Man and Little Boy um uh where Paul Newman played uh played the general uh General Leslie Groves that Matt Damon plays and he stands toe to toe to Paul Newman like oh my god Emily Blunt is doing amazing work as Kitty Oppenheimer Florence Pugh is doing super well you you know who's like super super good in this Scott Grimes Scott Grimes Who's like known for playing Steve in uh in uh in American Dad. Like, oh my god. This movie, like, I needed to watch this movie when when it came out. Like for all this movie in my top ten, I needed to watch them when I needed to. And quite honestly, I really hope like if if this is the one that gets Nolan his Oscar, this really is a full circle moment for me, because the the man opened my eyes or opened this latent love of film for me with the prestige. And it was just a nice little, nice little ending chapter for this point in my life where I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I'm like, well, maybe it's not me, but I, I hope in maybe my own way, I can help people make that get there with, with the new career I'm, I'm trying to, trying to get started. So yeah, Oppenheimer is the uh, is my favorite movie. Is the best movie of twenty twenty three for for my money. So, if you guys have any questions, you can ask. So as I was saying back when I was reading the Communist Manifesto, <laughs> no, um, no. Okay, listen. I read go- Al's diary too. You know. No, that's uh, that's <laughs> never mind. I, I I I have a joke with Al about that, but I'm not gonna say that joke here. That's actually, so- dear God, it's me, and Margaret. <laughs> no it's his version is i am god <laughs> margaret <laughs> um sorry that's like a dark turn um so you're you're you guys have expressed some very personal connections with movies this year and i have thir- certainly thoroughly enjoyed many of the movies we have watched and even and cried at some of them, even though the, the main one I cried at, I did not put in my top ten. Um, I do still hold that for me, 2023, for various reasons that I'm not going to go into, was overall a weaker year compared to other years that I've kept track of top tens. But I still thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so with that being said, we already know Oppenheimer was not my number one. It was my number four. I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, just parts of it. 
I guess I'm a dumbass. Parts of it went over my head a touch, and that's why I, I couldn't put it any higher. But I acknowledged and respected what it was. Um, my number one is, of course, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, wow. That is my number one movie of the year. I think it is the best movie of the year. It held, I put it there as the temporary position when I saw it. Jay may even like, I might have mentioned that when I walked out. I was like, I said to Jay, at the moment, it's my number one, but I fully expected it to be surpassed. And then it just kept not being surpassed for me. It kept not being broken. See, I like how you guys thought I wasn't going to have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse in my top 10 at all. I, I legitimately was like, oh, I, I guess I guess Cotton hates, uh, hates America. Hey, I hates <laughs> America. Yeah. No, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is the best movie of the year, in my opinion. What makes it that? What does that? Everything you guys have said absolutely makes it, contributes to the fact that it's the best movie of the year. But what did it for me is the first goddamn 20 minutes of that movie where we see Spider-Gwen's perspective, okay, in her world. That entire thing pushed it from what would have been number two to number one. Because we it solidified the understanding that all the, all the Spider-Men, so to speak, have to go through some sort of a sacrifice. That that seems to be the rule. and But it was before we even knew that rule. We were given this great 20 minutes so that we then understood Spider-Gwen's motivations for doing what she later did. That is genius to make the audience fully sympathize with what is... I'm not saying she's a villain in the movie, but for taking a side that was against the protagonist. Spoiler alert. And we now fully understand that without even realizing we fully understand that. And that is fucking genius to pull that off. Um, obviously, the voice acting is great. The animation is amazing. The soundtrack is fantastic. Um, I particularly enjoyed the development of the spot as the villain. I completely agree with you guys. How he's, The villain that started off as a joke became the big bad slowly. That was really amazing. Um... I had not written off superhero movies, but I'd put them in a corner, put them in a corner for a while. I was willing to accept that the days of the superhero movies that I loved was done. And I'm not saying we're going to get amazing ones forever. I, I don't know what the future holds for that. But Across the Spider-Verse <laughs> really showed me that you... You can still be innovative with it. You can still do something unique and original with it. Um, and overall, it just gave me hope for the big blockbuster. For me, that was the blockbuster. That gave me hope. Um, yes, I know there were others that we all had hope for different ones, but that is the movie for me where... Because it was before Barbenheimer was a thing. That was the movie that everybody was going to see. That everybody loved. And whether it's the final... It's the swan song of the superhero era. Or it's the... It's the beginning of the second act. Or the third act of the superhero era. What a great movie we got. 
and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, you are the best movie of 2023. Thank you. That is all. Any questions? Uh, I, I just want to say that the only reason I started like tearing up when I was giving my number one is because I'm a little bitch. So like, like just, just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. You wanted to make I, that I'm not, I'm not like in touch with my emotions. I'm just, I'm just a little, no, bitch. no, you're not. You're well, Al, th- you, that would make you a woman, obviously, if you're in touch with your emotions. <laughs> That's what that would do. Wow. No. Guys, no. we talked about this. Well, at least it was the whole point of Barbie. Come on. <laughs> I, I all I all I know is that men should have like a oh god I can't remember the phrase the something something casa house. Oh, it was so uh, funny too. I just can't Mojo Dojo Casa House. Mojo Dojo Casa House. Yes, Mojo yes, uh, and, and that's right. I felt that in my soul. But uh, yeah, no, I you know it's it's actually kind of funny. You know, uh, it just shows you the power of movies that things can be happening in your life, and then just uh, like like. Straight up, like I, if you play me, uh, can you hear the music, Robert? Like I'll just start tearing up, and if you show me the montage, I'll just be like, oh. Uh, and I don't know about you guys with the with the stuff with the stuff that kind of made you guys tear up, but that that to me was like, oh, Nolan. Maybe maybe I'm just mad that Nolan is showing off. <laughs> it could be. It, yeah, it could be. be. He's flexing, man. He's flexing. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's in his prime. I know. Although he said it, whatever he has said, whatever his next movie is going to be, it's going to be a lot more relaxed. It's not going to be he as can't intense. do relaxed. No, I know he can't, but I I just love to see him. God, a Nolan comedy okay. that would be weird. Okay, okay, he says relaxed, but it's probably going to be much less focused. Mm. Mm. So yeah. Tenet. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, we've we've been talking for two hours. So how's about we call it a, a day, folks? We've been talking for four hours. That's true. All right. So. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Two hours for this episode. So uh, this has been What Do You Think? Our 2023 wrap-up. Don't expect us to talk about any more 2023 movies if we can this help This is it. intentional, folks. We're not going to talk about other 2023 movies. Trust me. All right. This has been What Do You Think? Oh, and a little announcement. We'll be changing the name of this podcast to what? I have no idea. Please give us your – send us some DMs or some yeah, texts. all three if, of you. Tell us. Tell us what you would think would be a good name, and then C and I will make an executive decision. Yep. Well, all right. So this has been, for now, What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. And I'm Jay. Can you hear the music, Robert? Can you? Not anymore. Good night, everybody. <laughs> right.